who knows that community is actually really important. And when you feel left out, it's really disappointing. I noticed that Carmen said that if you need help about, or information about Christmas, you can see Pastor Vicky, but hey, <laughs> what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> Nobody asked me about Christmas. Mind you, nobody's told me about Christmas. <laughs> so perhaps that's why. Although I'm also, I'm on a bit of a rant here. <laughs> this women's event, this decluttering. You should see the back of my Commodore. <laughs> it all got decluttered into the back of my car. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure about this. So, but I, I, they did look as though they had a good time though, even though I had to squeeze everything into the back of the car afterwards. Um, but there's another reason for that, and you can ask me about it afterwards. Um, but let's, let's change tack. Let's look at community in a different way. And let's recognise that there is a lot of power in community, but that power doesn't come from us, it comes from God. So let's, let's just focus for a moment before I bring the word of God. Let, let's just settle ourselves. Let's just take a deep breath and recognise that we're not here just amongst ourselves, but the very Spirit of God is here in this place. So Lord, we, we acknowledge your presence, not just as a passive observer, but as a power and a presence in our life. Your Holy Spirit, you sent, Lord, to empower us, not just to feel good, but to actually change the world. So Lord, we breathe in your Spirit this morning. We say, Holy Spirit, we allow you to bring knowledge, revelation, power, healing into our lives so that we can be a light to the world and salt of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, who remembers last week? <laughs> that wasn't a trick question. Who remembers that last week we talked about the community that grew up around Jesus as he ministered to the people around Galilee and beyond? And so today I want to actually look at what happened after the death and resurrection of Jesus and how that impacted this community and how it caused it to morph into the early church and something that we still reference as good Christian community even 2,000 years later. And so I want to look this morning at the community after Jesus. I thought about different titles for this. I thought the community that Jesus left but I thought that was perhaps a bit depressing and implied that perhaps we were abandoned. But as we'll see, uh, Jesus didn't abandon his community. And, and the first thing to note is that, uh, and this is an interesting thing if, you're, uh, if you like to study your Bible, you'll notice that w when things are written in there, there's often patterns to what is written. And these patterns are actually quite significant. And the events leading up to this explosive beginning of the community uh, spoiler alert, on the day of Pentecost, uh, follows a, a great Jewish literary tradition to let the reader or the, or the listener know that something momentous is about to take place. And there are clues in the narrative that alert us to this. And For instance, if we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And if we look further on in Acts 2, verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. 
Now notice that there are actually very specific time frames mentioned here, which are actually used repeatedly throughout Scripture to indicate a specific process that people are going for, through. For instance, the number 40. It says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died. The number 40 is actually very common in both the Old and the New Testament. I'm going to wait 40 seconds. No, I won't. Uh, Noah's flood. Guess what? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Ooh. Tell Siri not, not now. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that? They've been talking randomly and suddenly Siri says, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> uh, Moses was with God on Mount Sinai how many days? 40. The spies were in the promised land for 40 days. Their disobedience meant that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Oh, that's a bummer, isn't it? 40 days would have been all right. Um, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. And there are many others. But the number 40 usually indicates a time of testing and trial. The number 50 also appears in the Bible quite a bit. And you ask, why, why 50? Well, the, the word Pentecost is the word for 50. And so the day of Pentecost was 50 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so if we look at the, the, the number 50, it's often associated with the freedom from a burden or renewal and rebirth. And it's also a sign of the actions of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God promised Abraham, for instance, if he found 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, that he wouldn't destroy the cities. The number 50, and you're going to have to read this for yourself because there's a, so many little details about this, but the number 50 is woven into the details that God gave Israel regarding the curtains of the, for the tabernacle, the customs around the tabernacle, and the sizes required for the tabernacle in the wilderness. Even to the point that looking after the tabernacle was so strenuous that people over the age of 50 weren't allowed to be involved. How's that for ageism? Mind you, 50, I mean, you know what they say, fifth, sort of 70 is the new 50 these days. Got to be careful. Perhaps it's 80. Anybody, any, any advance on 80? No. Um, it, God commanded Israel every 50 years. A jubilee year was declared where all debts were settled, slaves were freed, and inheritances returned to their original owner. And the day of Pentecost was 50 days after Jesus' ascension into heaven. Now, initially, I don't know if you've read the sequence of events, but I thought perhaps they'd got it mixed up. So I thought, Jesus appeared for 40 days after he, he'd um, been resurrected. Surely this is a fun time. Surely this is a time of, this can't be a time of, time of testing and trial because Jesus is back. And the, it's like, I mean, can you, it's, Jesus is back. Come on, he, he died. And they were all sad and they were dispirited and suddenly Jesus is back. Is that not good news? Are you not excited by this? Are you not entertained? <laughs> no, go, people don't watch enough movies these days. <laughs> um, and so you sort of think, well, why, why is it 40 days? Why is this a trial? But if you read what happens during that time, you can actually see that Jesus was testing the disciples. And there were various tests. The first one is the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them and they don't even recognize him. 
And he questions them about their faith and what people say the kingdom of God's about. What's about to happen now? Who, Jesus, who is Jesus really? And so he's testing their faith. Peter, Peter gets quite shirty because Jesus tests him. Jesus, do you love, uh, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I, I thought I'd already answered that question. Why does he keep asking me this? But he was testing Peter. Thomas. Thomas was a scientist. He wanted proof. And funny that they don't call him Thomas the scientist. It was doubting Thomas. His faith was tested. During this time, Jesus was actually seeing what the impact of his death and resurrection had on the disciples and was testing what their reaction was going to be for the time that was coming. Now, although you know, there was a reduction in the number of people in the upper room for the coming of the Holy Spirit, in the 50 days before Pentecost, the disciples actually ended up doing a lot of housekeeping. They were actually planning and preparing. They prayed together. They talked about the fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus' death and resurrection. So that they, they were getting themselves ready. They planned what was going to happen. They replaced Judas with Matthias so that they had the 12 disciples back again. They knew something was about to happen and they were getting their house in order. They were preparing for a rebirth. They were preparing for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Well, Acts chapter 2 tells us. In verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, let's put this in context. You sort of think, you know, you've been watching Tornado on TV, and you've got it in surround sound, and there's the sound of the the wind and everything. And And it can get fairly loud if you've got a good stereo system. But this was loud enough so that people from outside came to see what all the noise was about. This is like, this is disturbing the neighbours. This is like people have rung the police and, and, and reported a civic disturbance. This is loud. This is impressive. And so it says then, what looked like tongues or flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And so from this moment, we see a change in the community of believers. Instead of a a community that's growing in faith by just observing what Jesus did, because that's in the main what happened. He, He sent them out on their own, but they always came back and reported to Jesus what had happened. They were tied to Jesus for the power that he gave them to go out and heal the sick and to, 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 to preach the gospel to people. But here we see a change. What happens is suddenly we see a community that's acting out their faith because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in them. That's us. This isn't some historical event that happened 2,000 years ago and we would say, well, that was nice for them, wasn't it? Pity that can't happen today. We're just sitting here, powerless people in a world that muddies the, the waters with, with different doctrines and, and ideas. and we, we just Let's just go with the flow and hope that we survive. Cobblers. That same power is inside every single one of us today, this morning. The Holy Spirit is filling us whenever we ask, whenever we want. Whenever we let down the barriers, whenever we open ourselves to his presence, he is there. 
And he's not there to give you a trickle. We don't have to stand there saying, oh, come on, come on. I, I need power. It's sort of, who's turned off the tap? Why is it only dripping? That doesn't happen. As soon as we open ourselves to the fact that the Holy Spirit can empower our lives, we can change other people's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Guess what? It comes in a torrent. You get spiritually wet, soaked, overflowing. But we have to acknowledge it. We have to work with it. We have to do what God asks us to do. And, and we, if we look at this community, we see three things happen as a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The first thing is the community grows. Acts 2.41, those who believe what Peter said, because Peter, after all his bumbling and mumbling and fumbling, gets up and preaches this amazing message. And 3,000 people get saved, just like that. I think I'll do an altar call. No, not quite so many of you out there. But. And we see that throughout the New Testament, as, as people preach the Word of God, first the initial fellowship grows in Jerusalem. And then as the number of churches grows, we see growth throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so this, this increase in the church happens. And guess what? It's people doing it. It's people with the power of the Holy Spirit in them. Jesus doesn't come and preach to people. Empowered people preach the gospel to people. The second thing that happens is we see miracles and signs and wonders becoming a feature of this community of Jesus followers. Acts 2.43, a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many, many miraculous signs and wonders. And in, We get an example in Acts 3 verse 6. Peter says to this cripple on the side of the road who's asking for money, he says, we don't have any gold and silver. But we have Jesus and I can give him to you. And so he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And this guy does. We have that power. We need to use it. And we see this carried on throughout the New Testament. And I'm, I'm here, I'm making huge assumptions here that everybody's read the New Testament. If you haven't, um, the Gospels are a good place to start. But you know, Acts is a pretty exciting book. It is the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts is the, do, the doing book. A lot gets done in the book of Acts. And we see that, you know, th this whole signs and wonders gets carried over into the conversion of Saul to Paul. Um, we see the idea of, uh, and he explodes this idea of using the gifts of the Spirit in the church community. Whenever possible, in services, meeting people, in prayer, in fellowship, all of those things. And the third thing we see happening is the church gets organized. Now, I know there's some of you there thinking, oh, finally, it gets to the meat of them. We should be organized. And there's a lot of other people out there thinking, organized? I'm organized. Who wants to be organized? We, we, we want to have fun with the Holy Spirit. We, want, we just want to go berserk and pray for people and see people healed. What's this organized business? But it, it's interesting that as we read Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They organized themselves. In Acts 2.45, they sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. In Acts 6.2, the twelve called a meeting of all believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. 
then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So there was the necessity for a division of labor. There was a necessity to be organized. And some of us don't like organizing. And luckily, some of us are married to people who do. And so we need to recognize that organization seems very mundane. It's certainly not the, the uh, sexy part of church life. But it was, and it still is, just as much spirit-led as any other activity of church life. And if we continue to read the, through the New Testament, the letters of the apostles to various churches, we see that God moves through all three aspects of church life to achieve his purposes. Where there are signs and wonders, there's also a growing community, but there's also an organized community. And these weave themselves together into the organism that we call the church. And guess what? We are all called to add to our community. We are all encouraged to use our spiritual gifts. And hopefully, we all understand the importance of devoting ourselves to the Word, to fellowship, to sharing meals, and to prayer. Hopefully, we recognize we are a generous people. We are an organized people. But we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I, I don't know whether you've heard this term. People talk about Christianity and churchianity. Now, to some degree, uh, people's uh, disposition, how do you despise, what's the, disposition, despising of, would that, will that do? People get all rolled up about this word churchianity because it, to, to them, and, and I guess to me, it, it implies this idea that we worship the church more than we worship Christ, that we worship organization often more than we worship Christ. Now, I, I don't actually believe that's a thing. I don't think that you can be too organized necessarily. But what does tend to happen is that we put organization, signs and wonders, and um, what was the third one? No, come on with the three points. This is louder. Growing. growing community. Thank you, Loretta. So all of those three things can be done, guess what? Without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's actually what churchianity is. It's when you have an organization that ignores God. But I don't believe that if we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, that we can go too far either way and not, and not call it Christianity. But sometimes I think people misuse the word and they see, see people who are interested in organization. They think, well, you're not interested in signs and wonders. You, you can't be full of the Holy Spirit. No, they're just full a bit differently than you are. And perhaps they're not quite as full of it as you are. Uh, that's, that wasn't in my notes. That was a, that was a freebie. <laughs> um, but we do it through the power of the, the Holy Spirit because we don't have the, the individual presence of Jesus work, work, walking the earth. We have something better. Jesus himself said this in John 16, 7. In fact, it is best for you that I go away. Who, th who thinks Jesus is slightly mad? He says, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. The good news is that he has come. And we are able to be filled with his presence and power every single day. And through his presence and power, that is how we do church. That is why important, it's important to grow the community, 
It's why it's important to actually have signs and wonders and miracles in our community and why it's important to be organised. Talia, I can see you there. Where's Fricky? Is he there? Can you guys come out here? I want to organise something with you. No. I'm not sure it's a sign or a wonder, but I was, I was praying about you guys this week and I, I, I really felt, as I was praying, I felt this warmth and I, I could really see the, the, the power of God shining on you, but your eyes were downcast and when I looked at your feet, they were covered in mud and I thought, oh, that's not good. But I felt God say, it doesn't matter how muddy pe- people's feet are, everybody goes through mud and trials. But you've got to look at the light of God. And I, I, I found this scripture and I thought, this, this is for you guys. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. I pray right now for the power and the presence in your lives of the Holy Spirit to keep walking. Wear the mud on your shoes as a badge of honour. It's not about what we go through. It's about our attitude to what God is putting in our life. I believe God is putting encouragement and purpose and the gift of his presence into your life. Whatever you're going through is temporary. Whatever God is bringing is eternal. Holy Spirit, bless them. Encourage them. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Miracles of God can happen to anyone. We should be expecting miracles in our lives. But as a community, I think the first thing we've got to expect is that Jesus has his eye on us. Now, I don't know about you, but that sort of makes me a little nervous. Now, we've got the God of the universe here, creates planets and galaxies and things, and suddenly he looks and says, oh, look at what Chris is doing. This will think, Nope. But the good news is that although he is incredibly huge, he's incredibly personal. And the fact is that the fact that he is personal is what makes us able to connect with the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you here this morning. In fact, we're going to do what we did last Sunday. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray a prayer together. going to pray a prayer of community i want us to acknowledge the fact that we are part of god's community and that we're actually excited not just to be part of community but to be part of god's community where we actually lay our lives before him so i want you to repeat after me dear jesus i thank you from the bottom of my heart that you have brought me into this community that you call your church I acknowledge you right here and now 
as the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. I pledge my life to you right now. Thank you for making me a child of God. Amen.